okay, well, uh, let's listen to this guy talk about uh, politics. No, the imam might use the sermon as the basis to, you know, to preach and then veer off into debate about the elections and, you know, campaign for a candidate. So the fact that um, Atiku or Tinubu did not go from mosque to mosque to converse votes does not mean that they did not do it. They also had imams that they were close to whose loyalties they cultivated. However, they did it is not for me to say, but they also cultivated the um, loyalties of imams and those imams campaigned on their behalf. But they did not have to go to the mosque because the mosque does not lend itself to that. Peter went to churches because the churches lend themselves to one of their a Christian coming there and campaigning. So let's be fair to him here that it's not that he introduced it. This has always gone up, gone in the north for a very long time. Politicians use imams who now influence the the faithful and has been going on for a very long time. But a lot of people don't even know that because well, most of it is done in Hausa which is not accessible to other people in the South. But when Southern Christian politicians use the church to campaign, they use the English language, which everyone has access to, or most people have access to. So they are a little more exposed. So I agree with David that, that that's not being strategic because their options are in open. Everyone knows them, everyone hears about them. But what Muslim politicians do, which is not different from what Christian politicians do, it's not open to the public or as much to the public as the Christian. So let's be fair to both of them, to, to all, they, every single one of them exploited whatever they could use to win the election. It was not only Peter B. who did it. But I want to, I, I will be making references to the United States and to Britain and to all these other things. But I think we are unduly valorizing these societies. I live right here. And as I'm talking to you, there's talk of civil war. Here in, in Atlanta, you can bring a goat as the candidate for the Democratic Party. And you can bring Barack Obama, he says he's a Republican now. Put them in election, the goat will win. If you go to Mississippi... Based on, based, based on color and race... race. Not, not color, it's political ideology. Mm. So it's about the, the, the Republican Party, Democratic Party, they almost have the same kind of effect as but, ethnicity but, has but, but, in Nigeria. But, but, but Prof, look... Or this, religion this, has I mean, in Nigeria. Na, na, so it's na, not about na, merit. I, yeah, so the question today is yeah. born out of the sensitivities of Niger Nigeria as a nation. America yeah. has the, its own sensitivities uh, as well, exactly. and uh, the Baptists, the the whites, the these, the the that, they have their own uh, votes that they that, that they get. I mean, they they give to these politicians in America. But Absolutely. we're looking at the sensitivity of the Nigeria Nigeria as a nation right now. Whether or not we can afford an ethnic politics or even a religion politics, exactly. The, um, America, that, that's America, the point I'm making. Yes, America banned. Can I say something? We, uh -huh. we can, we, it's whether no, we can afford it or not afford is irrelevant. The, we are the, human the, beings. Hold on. Human, yeah. See, whether we can afford or not afford is irrelevant. We are human beings, and human beings are by nature tribal. Mm -hmm. 
the ethnic thing will always come up. Once there are differences between two groups of people, it will come up. The key thing is how we handle it and how arguably it is weaponized or not. So, so um, Cheta, um, I, has it been weaponized in this period? It has been weaponized in Nigeria pretty much in every election. So, for example, when DG Peter we started it in this election, he's wrong. Um, uh, the, the truth of the matter is that from the very first whistle of the election, even before Peter Obi emerged, we had already started, at least for those of us in Lagos, we had already started hearing noises about, oh, Igbo this, Igbo that. It, I was here in Lagos when we were told to go into the lagoon. So it's, um, I, I choose not to dwell on those things, not because I don't think they're important, but because I know that they are symptoms of a problem. And one of our issues in this country is that we tend to dwell on the symptoms rather than chasing the problem. So to use an example, and um, uh, Professor Perogi said something very, very um, uh, poignant about the United States. If you happen to visit the United States, sit down and listen to Newsmax. Then just spend six hours listening to Newsmax. Then spend another six hours listening to Fox News. Then switch over to MSNBC and spend another six hours listening to that. Then spend another six hours listening to, say, CNN. You may as well be living on different planets based <laughs> on what you are hearing in the different stations. That is tribalism. The difference is that it is not ethnic-based tribalism. Now, the ethnic-based tribalism that we see in Nigeria is as a result of two things. Number one, the manner in which our country was brought together, and the fact that the elites have not built an economy that actually discourages it. I once sat in a, in a, in a, in a restaurant in New Orleans and listened to, a, uh, listened to a, a member of the Louisiana National Guard insist that Louisiana would have better been served if it had not been a part of the United States. Fringe voices like that will always exist in every society. The issue is, has the society won the argument? America has arguably won the argument because America has delivered broad-based prosperity to its people. Nigeria has not won the argument because Nigeria has not delivered broad-based prosperity to its people. Having said that, again, when um, uh, you, you, you try to insist that, oh, Peter Obi did this, Peter Obi did that, you forget that the Izala movement, for example, on the 12th of January 2019, endorsed Buhari publicly and asked all their, um, their, their adherents to vote for Buhari. Is that not religious politics, if we want to, um, to look at it from that angle? But again, as, as Prof said earlier, and um, for the record, I read a lot of what Prof, Prof writes every week, but um, I, sometimes I disagree, sometimes I agree. It's the way, it's the way it is. But as he said earlier, to, um, earlier in, in this discussion, very simply put, when we have, um, when, when, what we're seeing is identity creation and there's nothing unusual in what is happening. We need to have the long view. And the long view is that Nigeria is in a bad place economically. So the outcome, regardless of whether it was Bolatinobu that won, and again, because there are legal cases, we can't for, we can't for certain say that he has won. Um, so this is just, at the moment, he's the president-elect. But the Supreme Court may decide otherwise. We don't know. But whether it is Bola Tinubu that, won, that wins, or Atiku wins, or Peter Obi wins, or Kwankwaso wins, the outcome will not be materially different. 
in four years' time, we will still be facing these issues of high inflation, high unemployment. The real issue we should be talking about is the fact that Nigeria has the combined total of Belgium, Croatia, and Tunisia who are not employed. They wake up every morning, they don't have anything to do. Those people are angry. So the, when people are angry like that, it's open space for demagogues. Sean, you are familiar with the fact that I was a Kadira Ahmed interpreter when she interviewed the Nandi Kano. We went to his, um, his uh, uh, whatever it is in, in uh, Umuahia. There were 20,000 people outside his house that day. 20,000 young Igbo men outside his house. Why were they outside his house that day? Because they have nothing to do. If these people had something constructive to do every day, do you think they would have been listening to Nandi Kano? That is the problem. We are weaponizing the poverty, the unemployment, the high inflation. And then we are, we are, we are sitting down there and wringing our hands at the inevitable outcome. Hmm. And then looking to cast blames left, right, and center. Whereas the very elites who practice that same divide and, uh, divide and rule, which they inherited from the colonial masters, when it is time to chop money together, they all sit down together and chop the money and don't ask about ethnicity. Or religion. So why do we allow these things to divide us? All that is happening today, right now, is the classic divide and rule. Oh, that Igbo man is your problem. So you will not look at the man who is chopping your money, who has uh, uh, something called alpha beta that is squaffing your money. Instead, you'll be looking at uh, at Ukeke that is struggling to make a living in Latipo. That is classic divide and rule. That is what we need to uh, we need to we need to look at. How do we bring the generality of Nigerians to earn a decent living and live in comfort? Those are the questions. We need to, we need to stop ourselves from being manipulated into, uh, into focusing on all these low-quality problems and move to the high-quality problems. Mm. Inflation is officially 21%. In reality, it is much higher. What that means is that, at, let us assume for a second that it is really 21%. What that means is that every four or five years, food pri uh, prices of things will double. Do people's wages double every four or five years? No, they don't. What that means is that everybody gets them poorer. That is the real problem. Hmm. Not right. this um, uh, uh, very low quality, oh, uh, you, uh, Deji, for example, is from Kogi states. He's from the Okun people. Some Okun people agree that they are Yoruba, some do not. People like me, when old people from my side, when you say them, when you ask them in Asuigo, they will say, but I'm Masu on a on each I'm Masu Ahaba. Because the identity is fairly recent. These are identities that did not exist 100 years ago. Why do we want to kill ourselves on identities that are still evolving? But, but let, me, let, me, let me allow uh, Sheyi to come in. And uh, I see that he is nodding his head, uh, either in agreement. <laughs> Or disagreement, Sheila. Uh, well, I mean, I see how much you battle to hold your own uh, when I, uh, there are conversations around who you support, and uh, I mean how the tendencies. I mean, you you said it. No matter who, if anybody wants to listen, you support who you want to support. The question is what our society looks like after all these election. I saw what happened in 2015. Lagos was very tensed just because of what a traditional uh, ruler said. And it looks to me that everywhere the Igbos were in Lagos at the time, it was so tense. I've lived in the midst of 
houses, predominant house of people. And whatever little um, flame that you put in, in the midst, it can, go, it can reach in two hours. You can feel it in the, in the deep south. <laughs> thank, 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 thank you very much. You see, um, uh, I, I listen through everybody's submission, and um, there is something that uh, we cannot deny. As much as uh, we all want to say, oh, we are not um, divided along tribal lines, along ethnic lines, it shows in our conversation. You know, um, when Deji was talking, he had to hammer on um, obese strategy which kind of looks as if, uh, oh, he was, um, you know, uh, walking the parts of um, the religion line and then the tribal line, ethnicity line and all those stuff. And then when Chita started talking, you know, he had to mention Alpha Beta. And somehow... <laughs> I was trying to look at your reaction. I was, I was checking yeah, out know, for your reaction. Somehow, that, that kind of showed me that um, whether we like it or not, you know, uh, our choice of candidates has put us in a position where um, in, our, in our expression, you know, the tribalism kind of chips out, whether we like it or not. And this is what we're seeing right now. But the truth is this, the question we should ask ourselves is what is really driving this person for the person he's supporting? And that is something that I think gets lost in the midst of the you are making you are making the error of thinking that I'm supporting Peter Obi. At least you can ask you can I can take you to my woman and and, the, the, and you can ask them. I did not support Peter Obi in this election. So let's just let's just it's something that I found very interesting throughout the the, um, the election electoral cycle. People just assume that because um, um, uh, uh, me and Peter Obi generally share the same woman. That I was supporting him by by default. I did not vote for Peter Obi. Let's just get that out of the window so that we can we can actually have a conversation based on facts. Carry on. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Thank and you, so Jeter. and so for me, uh, like you, like you said, the moment um, uh, somebody like me said, "Oh, I'm supporting Ashwajo," because I made it known, I had to I had to come out and made it make it known. At first, I wanted to keep it to myself, but then. I saw this constant attack and bullying on social media of the people who had come out to say they're supporting Ashwaju. And it gave me great concern. And I felt like I'll be a coward if I can't even mention it that I'm supporting this person. And I should be able to articulate the reason why I'm supporting this person beyond tribe, beyond ethnicity, you know? And which was something that I tried to do every time I had the opportunity to go on live um, uh, broadcast or uh, um, putting something out there. I, for example, I lived through the um, uh, Ashwajibola Ahmed Tinubu's era in Lagos State, his uh, governorship era in Lagos State. And I know the development that I witnessed during those times. You know, and then when debates and argument begins to leave achievements and it begins to go to um uh personal uh hits and all those stuff it gave me room for great concern and i'm beginning to ask myself are we really talking about what this person has done that i think is enough to justify the person being the president of the country or we're talking about the person's past which 
you know, were not part of the pressing uh, uh, political um, uh, journey in in its time as the Lagos State uh, Governor. And so, um, again, like I said earlier, I mentioned earlier that I had had reasons to be in the midst of some colleagues who are entertainer. And in time past, I heard what they had to say about their choice of candidate now. Then way back in 2012, 2011, 2011, 2012, I know how much they condemned this person. And suddenly, this person has become a saint to them. And these are the same people who are trying to paint somebody like me as a tribalist that I have had opportunity to go with them to shows in their states and then their government officials ask us to come visit and then they leave me in their hotel, in the hotel room and then they said, later I'm hearing and they said we shouldn't call you, say you'll be Yoruba boy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I am the person who is now a tribalist. And these are the same people that comes to my side, the Southwest, and we go for shows in the Southwest, and nobody stops them from saying, oh, let's go and see the, the governor and, or anything. And in fact, one of the things that I even noticed, we have the governorship election that is coming, these same people have, even for me as a Yoruba person, these same people have more access to the governor than I do. And yet, when you ask them questions, to say, what are the things you tell the governor when you see him? They can't pinpoint anything. And now they are sodding activists for a better Nigeria. And I ask myself, is that how it really works? I mentioned on one of um, the programs that I was that I've only had the opportunity to meet um, Governor Babajide Sonwolu twice in his time as governor of Lagos State. And this we are different movie premieres. Aside that, I've never had the opportunity to go to the government house to meet him and all the stuff. And on one of those occasions, I remember that in our discussion, I talked about the Lekki Ekwe Expressway. And about a month down the line, work started on that road. And for me, these are the things that I expect people who are in my industry to constantly do, be the voice of the people. If you are going to condemn somebody, be constructive about it. If you are going to make demands, please make your demand and don't fight. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't be destructive sh while you're making I, 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 I mean, I wouldn't want to derail the conversation. I was going to, because I've had this conversation with people and they say the entertainment industry is even more divided than Nigeria itself. When it comes to <laughs> when the, when politics uh, came and election season came, uh, there are those of the views that, in fact, entertainers were sharply divided. The endorsement, whether entertainers have the right to endorse any candidate, and all of that. So it brings us to the point, and I want us to look at the consequence of all See, of this. So can, let, yeah. let me let me quickly let me quickly say something. Yeah, you know, one of the things one of the things that we're talking about online right now. Talking about this, um, you know, the sudden throwing up of words of fiber bigots, you know, and all those stuff, were actually things that some entertainers permitted and they allowed to fester. I was watching one program where Okon Lagos said right now that people are, we are just cyberbullying you. 
it is not war yet. When you make such statement to condone cyberbullying, you understand me? You are infinitely saying that people can also bully others offline. Because this um, I think I think I want to like I think I want to step in here and my, my apologies if I keep interrupting Shee, but when you say that it is suddenly people are calling people tribal bigot and all of that, that's not true. I was the one of the first people who was a victim of that particular slur. The, the first time I was called a tribal bigot was on the twelfth of April. 2015. Uh, I had campaigned for Buhari. There seems to be some connection issue uh, with uh, Shay. Yeah. I joined the Buhari campaign. I campaigned for him. But before he was sworn in, I was immediately called a tribal. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think I think he picked up. Yeah, you are you are breaking okay. up, but I think it's better now. Okay, to, to repeat, when people say, "Oh, it is suddenly that the word bigot is being thrown about," no, it's not. At least I've given a specific date, twelfth of April, twenty fifteen. I that was the day that the that uh, the, that the president elect of Nigeria at the time, who I had campaigned for a few weeks before, banned the AIT from covering him. Garibashi issued that statement. And I criticized it, saying there is a process, no matter what AIT may have done. And immediately, a group of people who had been my friends, in quotes, just a few weeks before, began to criticize me for criticizing them and call me ethnic bigots, tribal bigots, ethnic bigots, tribal bigots. And it became a thing for the next two years. This is, this, this is recorded fairly recent history. Eight years ago is not that long. So when people start acting as if what is happening on social media now is a new thing, it's not. It is only a reaction to, unfortunately, the bets that we made. We allowed a herd of people I, move I, from I, account I, I, to I account think on that, social media. I, I sincerely think that what is happening now has never happened before in social media. In Nigeria. I disagree with Neither you. Neither has ever happened in I politics. I, I at I no time in the history you, of Nigeria since independence. Has any politician DG, ever spent seven months is, going to church, DG, church by church campaigning? Is, At no uh, time in um, the history uh, of this country has any politician ever, when, what for a national campaign, a politician, before, whenever he goes to the north, he the goes to go and visit only Christians, campaign in the Christian place, goes to Sabongiri, where members of his tribe are, goes to campaign there, they leave the state. What kind of a country is this? Why are we trying to change history? Even if other politicians in the past had use religion here. to secretly campaign should a presidential candidate that is claiming that he wants to come and do change or bring change should he spend several months going to church by church to campaign and people are justifying it on national tv who does these kind of things for god's sake so are we not saying that because somebody in the past had used religion or tried to campaign before that it is not right for peter Abid to be doing it and these are the people that are talking that they wanted to bring change to nigeria you can imagine yeah, How can a presidential candidate spend seven months moving from church to church campaigning? What people? What is happening for a presidential election of a multi-religious? That this is not America where everybody is a Christian. Almost everybody is a Christian. In Nigeria, there are plenty Muslims here. There are plenty Christians here. How can a presidential candidate of a political party spend seven months moving from church to church? Recruiting pastors to campaign for him. Okay, so if I may, oh, Shell, just a moment. Uh, I, go think, ahead. I think it's important that we use our voice 
to calm nerves down and also reflect because see if this goes out of hand it will consume all of us in fact that's the reason why i want us to talk about the consequence sometimes when you don't know how bad the fire will burn you and when it burns you what happens to your finger you may not be able to envisage your action in wanting to dip your hand in the fire what are the consequences of ethnic politics we said it happens in other crimes but can we afford it in nigeria what are the consequences if you may want to raise that Shell, Shell, can, yeah. I, can i quickly can i quickly come in you see i i was on um i was on um i was on um twitter yesterday and i had a bit of a conversation with um one um uh guy that calls himself um oracle yeah you know and um I, I, I don't know um, his name, actually, uh, Abdul something, you know, and Abdul it, Mahmoud. Yes, Abdul Mahmoud or something. Yeah, Abdul Mahmoud. He he. I, I needed to read what he said, and I tried to make a submission to what he what he was trying to do. You know, he said you are burning markets in Lagos in an all attempts to do the Igbos in. Fools, you're crippling Lagos informal economy and setting your people up for reprisal attacks elsewhere. Go to Sapele, you will find century-old communities of Yorubas. A road is even named Yoruba there. And this is it. There's not been any formal investigation to show that the act was perpetrated by a Yoruba person. And even if it was perpetrated by a Yoruba person, this does not mean that all the Yorubas in Lagos State support such action. And, you know, when you, when you have people speak like this and you know that they have this mob and large number of followers who are urging them on and praising them on what they're saying, it gives me room for concern. And I tried to come in. I said, I, I said this is an oracle that is lacking in discernment because of the rush to speak and malign some people. You can embellish stupidity with wisdom. Those who are deep thinkers will always see through the glitter. Stop finding hatred in a bit to spill intelligence. You know, and the reason why I have to say that is this. You can, you can make some assumptions up, you know, and then put some wisdom in between those assumptions and try to sound like somebody who is intelligent. You know, but again, you are beginning, something is, we already have a problem. That has divided us and not ethnic line, whether we like it or not, it has always been there. Even from, from uh, um, um, books that are written by Awolowo, the, the, the interviews that, that were done by uh, um, the Alhaji Amadou Bello, the Saudana, you know, uh, of Sokoto, the, uh, the, the um, you know, several, uh, the Akintola interview and all those stuff has shown us that right from the right from our independence until now there is a line that divides us along ethnicity but then we are trying as a new as a generation of people what we should try to do is to preach togetherness all right and if we are going to preach that we must be able to call out people who are trying to take us you know along that same line and building the interest amongst us in terms of all right. but instead, me, uh, you see a generation of people who just swallow, you know, like I call them, the headline readers. 
they pick the headline and then they don't read the body and, and try to put what the person is saying into contents and then they hail the person and just because the person thinks he has I, a lot I, of I, I just, I just, she, here, Sheila, yeah i just hope that uh, i wanted to i want us to get to a point where we can bring home the conversation and is it's a question that the topic is asking the consequences if we do not know the consequences these actions we go on and on and i was going to uh, start by asking uh, allowing hamza to start by talking about the what are the possible consequences of these ethnic politics what yeah. are the dangers the pol the consequences one is the fact that we we'll literally become warlords this is the reality we we'll literally become warlords so what would happen is it would metamorphose into some form of war first it will start as a civil war and then you see neighbors start uh, hacking each other and then people start occupying territories and controlling it and because people want to protect their uh, loved ones and their property and then they become warlords you know recently i was talking to some of my friends and i say if this country go up in flames you see all of us here we're just uh, laughing and thinking it's a joke some of us here will become warlords we literally control uh, militia yes mind you how does civil war even erupt you see now it's digital if for example one person decide to go to extreme and then just go and hack another person that is from different religion or different ethnicity that's the end how do you curtail that and now with social media where things go viral and the fact that we're also dealing with fake news misinformation and disinformation the cyber warfare has already started what is left is just to ignite the physical warfare and we're totally finished and i want to use an example of the insecurity Sharon, do you know in 2014, 2013, 2014, in short, let me, from 2012 to 2014, I traveled by road to the 36 states of the Federation. Now, from 2015 till date, there are some states that I cannot go to. Just because we thought that this insecurity is only predominant in the Northeast. So we that were in the Northwest, the North Central, the South, we're all fine. And this is how we're also looking at this. So, so the consequence is that it would deepen the mistrust. So take the civil service, for instance. You have different ethnicity and different religion. Imagine if anything go wrong in our civil service sector where two people have a disagreement and it goes out of hand and they hack each other. Then it will just go out there uh, on social media with the fact that now you can, there are no gatekeepers in the digital space. So these are the consequences. Where we'll uh, see each other, and then there will be that question mark. The DSL has come out to say that they, they have uh, intel that there are possibility of violence uh, that have been uh, planned by other DG consequences. I mean, the the reasons why we we cannot go along this line. Yeah, because we'll go the Rwanda way if we do not stop. You know, because these things will eventually degenerate, and once they degenerate. All this rationalization of use of religion and politics, we know there will not even be atmosphere to come on TV to rationalize it. You know, politics is not a religious affair, neither is it a tribal affair. And this is why pastors and imam they must stay in, in church and focus on salvation. They should leave politics alone. I don't see why a pastor would be, be on the campaign train of a and he's using the pulpit. If you want to be a politician, resign from the pulpit. Go 
buy a membership form of APC, PDP, or Labour Party, or NMPP, or AAC, or ABGA. Go and join them and do the politics with the politicians. You can't be using the puppets for politics now. Uh, in a church, there will be APC, PDP, NMPP, different members there. So why should you turn your church to a Labour Party sectarian or a PDP sectarian? Because that's what churches have become since August in this country, where people are openly using salvation to converse and con people in the name of politics. Again, most importantly, you see, tribe is a very dangerous thing, especially the use of tribe in politics. You know, it's the fastest way to start a, start a genocide. You know, so we have seen the, 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 the spiral effect of the presidential election now on the state elections, where we're announcing uh, people openly alleging others of tribalism. Again, we must also be mindful, the only zone in this election, like I had said initially, the only zone in this election that had the moral justification to vote in the, the way they voted was the Southeast. Despite the fact that I saw, I, I, I was not pleased with the voting pattern of the Southeast, it is justified because the Southeast had a record of having voted every other zone in this country. The Southeast voted Obasanjo in 1999-2003. The Southeast voted Yaradua, voted Jonathan. They may not have voted Buhari in 2015, you know, but the reason was they because... consistency in yeah, patterns. Yes, the reason was because they aligned with PDP. You understand? So, but aside that, or, or, just like I said, although I find the figures from there and the voting pattern uncomfortable, but it is excusable. But that is not to say that people should use tribe and religion to campaign. We can on no condition should any citizen that mean well for this country, whether politician or a priest or anybody or somebody that is apolitical, stand on any platform and say because somebody has done it in the past, therefore that people should be doing it. It is manifestly uncautionable and unjustifiable mm. to use yeah. religion and tribe to campaign. We've seen what has happened in the past in places like Kano. And I, I, was, uh, I was talking to a friend earlier. And I said, the reason why Lagos cannot afford to, to, to derail or to, to go the ethnic or tribal or religious way is because it's the economic nerve of Nigeria. It's the, it's the commerce center of Nigeria. If anything happens in Lagos, it will affect the economy of Nigeria. Nigeria's economy is so fragile at this moment. Uh, Prof. Let me let yeah. me let me come to you. I have a few people on Twitter Spaces that will, will allow their intervention. But the consequences, you live in the United States, there are consequences. There are, I mean, people someone just wakes up in the morning and goes to the mall and open fire on them. Someone just sees uh, another race or tribe and open fire on them. What are the consequences that should deter us from uh, going in the in the manner in which we're seeing things degenerating? I mean, I think uh, the two previous speakers have captured it brilliantly. Uh, when you have deep ethnic divisions, you have mutual distrust. And when you have distrust, uh, you have difficulty forming meaningful, enduring relationships. It even affects businesses. If you think because someone belongs to a certain ethnic group that they fit in certain stereotypes and are going to manifest certain negative attributes that are assigned to that ethnic group, then you're going to be reluctant to do business with them. And when that happens, it affects everything. Uh, so I, I agree with them perfectly, except that I'm a little more hopeful 
about what is happening than many people tend to be. And of course, it's because of my comparative advantages. I, I, I see that this happens all the time. My mom was born in Benin Republic, and that country is seen as one where people tend to get along a little better than we do in Nigeria, but they also have ethnic tensions after every election. And in the United States here, Deji was talking about using religion and ethnicity to campaign. I see here churches asking people to, to vote Trump or to vote uh, the Republican Party. And this same conversation is taking place here. People are saying churches should be denuded of the uh, their tax-exempt status since they're getting into politics. So that happens a lot here. They call Democrats Democrats. And you see that happen all the time here within my, uh, my neighbors. So religion has always been very central to the political process. It's not ideal. It's not, I'm not encouraging it, but it happens. There's no society on earth where people have not weaponized and um, instrumentalized religion and ethnicity and other primordial features to achieve political ends. So we are not alone. I think that knowledge that we are not alone should give us a little calm and a little more reason for hope. And as I've written repeatedly in my columns, Nigeria is moving in the direction of evolving as a nation. Uh, Keta just said he's married to uh, a Yoruba person. I am married to an Igbo woman. Wow. And my children, uh, my first wife who died is from Deji's place. She's, uh, mm. She identified as Yoruba because she was born in uh, Ilorin and went to school in Ibadan. So some of my children that I had with her, I have Yoruba and half from my place. When I remarried in 2014, I married someone from uh, Okija. And the Okija people are my in-laws now. You're a true Nigerian prof. <laughs> yes, so I really don't see... By the, virtue, see by the virtue of marriage. <laughs> yeah, by the virtue of marriage. Yourself <laughs> and Cheta. I'm bringing, these, I'm bringing these examples not to... I, I personally don't like people advancing their personal stories uh, to make claims about their identity, to make claims about their uh, ideological direction. But I'm giving this example to show that increasingly that is happening, not because anyone is forcing anyone to do it, but because they think it's ideal. The more we stay together as a nation, the more we realize that we are more alike than unlike. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Mike on Podcast. This podcast will return soon.